0: Welcome to broadcast 11:32. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience, or at church 11:32.com. Window Wars part two. We're going to Second Samuel chapter six, verse uh, we're going to read through verse 23. Second Samuel 6:16 6, through23. It says, "As the Ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window." And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and they set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people... In the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites. We were laughing about this earlier. This is like, this would be good guest gifts. Like, if you're a guest with us, we're gonna give you a loaf of bread, a cake of dates. I'm just a joke, okay, bad joke. All the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord, David kind of like a little slap back here, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father. Or anyone from his house, when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in in honor. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death." I want to use Second Samuel chapter six, this story, as a backdrop from uh, that from we'll, which we'll pull our talk today, and, and and really the points of discussion that that I want to just propose to you. The, the, this window war that we're talking about, if you missed two weeks ago, Pastor Steve preached a phenomenal message last week and, uh, and, and so blessed by his word. If you're here, I'm sure you were blessed by it. Two weeks ago, I started the series talking about windows. Now, now windows interesting. And this is why we're talking about window wars. From a window, you can be firmly planted in one place but have the ability to look into another place. That, that's what a window does. It gives you the opportunity to be in one environment, but to look into another environment. We, we, you, you can be in something, but not totally a part of something. You, you, know, you know this. Like Sometimes our hearts can be divided. Jesus says, a house divided against itself cannot stand. The division is bad, but a window gives us the opportunity. It affords us the privilege of being in one place, but seen in another place. We talked about this last week as we talked about Eutychus. And Eutychus was a guy in the Bible, in the book of Acts. He actually fell asleep as Paul was preaching. The problem was that Eutychus fell asleep in a window, a third story window. and When he fell asleep, he fell out of that window, fell down to the street, and died. There is no worse way for a message to go than for someone to fall out of a window and die while you're preaching. It's like, didn't stop Paul. Paul went back, and he went down. He raised the kid from the dead, and the Bible says he went back to preaching and preached through the night. It's like, Paul's a bad, bad man. And and, and Eutychus, most people say, man, Eutychus, why were you sitting in the window? Why would you fall asleep while Paul was preaching? And really, what we talked about is, is the window is actually the point of discussion. If he would have fallen asleep and been in close proximity to Paul, he would have never fallen out of the window. But because he had positioned himself in a place where when he fell asleep, now he had the propensity to fall out. That's the reason that he fell out of the window. The the, the window is a place of comparison. The window is a lens. Did did you know that, that every one of us, we see other people through... A lens. It's called the sunglass theory. If I put on sunglasses with blue tint to the lens, all of you will look blue. You won't be blue, you'll look blue. But when I look at you, I will see you through the lens, and now I will project something onto you that really is, is, is not on you. It's my perspective of you. I was meeting with a friend uh, this last week in in L.A., and we hadn't connected in years. And uh, the last time we had connected was before I got married. It was before I moved to Texas. Oh, So we're just catching up over all of this life. And he started asking me questions, and and he said things like, how's Jude? It's like, how would you know Jude? We have not seen each other since before Jude. Because what he knew of my life was the life that he saw through the window of social media. So although we had not been together in person, he watched my life through a window. Now, now the, the tricky part about that window is the only parts of my life that he saw was the parts of my life that I shared. So what his perspective was of me is a perspective that he construed by the highlights of my life that I had shared. And many of us, this is how we go through life and this is how we look at one another is we look through a lens. We think that John's doing better than us because we see him through a lens. We think that their marriage is better than ours because we see them through a lens. And the problem is, over time, that those lenses can get muddy, those lenses can get dirty, and we think there's something wrong with the people, but there's really something wrong with the lens. A window I have found in our culture is so tempting because wherever we are, most of us are not satisfied being there. There's a difference between being content and being hungry or having desire. So people say, Well, I'm not supposed to desire to be better. No, there's a difference between comparing, being in one place and not okay with it, and then still striving. To move forward, where most of us find ourselves is we know where we are and we compare this life through the life, through the lens that we look through to the lives of other people around us. Did you know that what you see of the news is what you see through a window? It is, it is a window Whichever news station you choose and you prefer, you see through a window. You don't actually see the news. You see what is portrayed to you by the news through the window. Many of us, we look at God through windows. And because we've had bad experiences, that window has been dirtied or that window has been tinted. And and now we see God a certain way because of the window that we look at Him through. I want to go to 2 Samuel chapter 6, and I want to talk about this story in depth. And and you're going to have to just put on your thinking caps for a second because we're going to move fast. And and I want to give you a couple things. But in verse 16, it says this. It says, as the ark of the Lord, we read this, was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. Now, the ark of the covenant represented the presence of God. Wherever the ark is mentioned in the Old Testament, it represents the manifest presence of God. Wherever the ark was, there was favor. Wherever the ark was, there was blessing. Wherever the ark was, there was victory. And the ark had been in captivity for years. The ark had been in a different city for years. And now David was in the process of bringing the ark back to the city of God. So watch this. He's bringing the presence of God back to the city of God. This was something that should have been celebrated. And the people did celebrate. And David did dance. And David did celebrate. But while David was celebrating, Michael was watching. See, this is what I find with a lot of things that God's doing, is that instead of involving ourselves in what God's doing, we withdraw to places of observation instead of being in a place of participation. So we watch what God's doing instead of being involved in what God's doing. I'm just going to tell you, God is moving in the earth. And he's going to move with or without us, but God desires to use us. And if we would stop watching from windows and get to where he is and be with him, he would use us in this grand plan that he has in the kingdom of God. So Michael withdrew to a window. The second part of verse 16 says that as she's in this window, she begins to despise David in her heart. I want you to see something because theologians believe that the window that Michael was in was a high window. It was an elevated place in the palace that she could see everything from. And so this window that she withdrew from took her to an elevated place where she now was able to look down on the celebration. Whenever you withdraw, most of the time synonymously with withdrawing, you elevate so when I withdraw, I elevate so that everything I look at that I'm withdrawing from, I look down on. Have you ever felt that? I'm not involved in something, so now I'm not, I'm not really a fan of it. I'm not a part of it. Oh, y'all are going to hang out? I wasn't invited? Yeah, it doesn't look that fun anyways. Why? Because we're not a part of it. If we were involved in it, we'd be like, yeah, we're going out. We can go have some fun. But because you weren't invited, it's like, that doesn't look fun. I hate that restaurant. Because... When you withdraw, you elevate. And when you elevate, now whatever you look at, you look down on. So Michael withdraws. Now this is a process. She didn't just start despising David as she was there. She despised David after she withdrew. See, I find this in marriages a lot, is that when people begin to disconnect, after they've disconnected, then they begin to despise. Despising doesn't usually happen while they're connected. It happens after a disconnect, and now they withdraw, usually to a place of elevation, and they look down on the other partner, and now that they've looked down on them, they begin to despise what they're doing. Michael withdrew, and then she began to despise. I found this to be true. We usually look for windows when we're not satisfied with the place that we are. I usually look for a lens. I usually look for a window. When I'm not like I'm not happy with life, so I start looking through windows. I start withdrawing in certain areas of my life. I start withdrawing certain parts of my heart. I start withdrawing trust. I start holding back from different areas. Well, I've been hurt before, I'm not going to be hurt again. So I withdraw. I pull back. What you distance from, this is what Michael learned, what you distance from, you will eventually despise. You, you have to be careful what you distance from. I think that distance is probably one of the believer's greatest enemies. Because if, if you can distance, this happened to Peter. Peter followed Jesus while Jesus was going to be crucified. He said he followed him at a distance. After he followed him at a distance, we find that Peter denied Jesus. If Peter wouldn't have followed him at a distance, he probably would have never denied him. But because he had withdrawn from close proximity, he now had enough wondering and enough confusion to question and to deny. In verse 20, I think it's interesting, says, David returned home to bless his household and Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. Now this is, this is like too bad for David because David has one of the greatest conquests of his life. He brings the presence of God back to the city of God. He just danced with all the people. I mean, he's celebrating. He's on like cloud nine right now. He's happy. And he's coming back. He's like, I'm, I'm going to come bless my family. I mean, he just like, he's happy. He walks out, and Michael, she's like waiting, you know, like. And it says that as David comes back home, it says Michael came out to meet him. So. You know, David doesn't even get in the house. And Michael is there, and Michael is waiting. And Michael, before David can bless her, Dave, Michael begins to rebuke David. This is how the king has distinguished himself today. And he's, listen, listen to this tone. She says, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How long, how, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked, in full view of the slave girls, of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. She scorned him from a distance and she scolded him at home. See, this is what I found is that what happens in our heart doesn't stay in our heart very long. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth. Speaks, And so she withdrew, then she began to despise. And once she began to despise, it was only a matter of time before she spoke out against what God was doing. You have to be careful what you withdraw from. You've got to be careful the things that move you, uphold you, move you back from something that you should be involved in. Why am I despising that? Most of the time it's because you're distant from it what you're distant from, you will despise. And what you despise, you will eventually speak out against. What you revile in your heart, you will eventually rebuke with your mouth. And there's always a consequence to withdrawing. Verse 23, it's interesting, it says this in our story, is David and Michael. They have this exchange, and it says, And then Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Now, she had had children before so it wasn't that she was barren before, but she was barren from that point forward. So her distance cost her her fruitfulness. She was not barren before, but when she would, did you know that you cannot be fruitful if you're not connected? There's just simple anatomy about having children that like there's important. Is that, you know, I'm, okay, I don't have to explain it. There has to be connection in order for there to be a child. And if you're going to be distant, let me just say it this way, if you're distant from the things of God, how are you going to ever bear fruit? If you're distant from the people of God, how will you ever reap the fruit that you want? Well, I just want to watch. you got to be careful of the things that you watch. That you should be participating in. Because from the place of observation, you neglect participation. And when you neglect participation, a lot of times you neglect your fruit. And we need people that are fruitful. We need people that are walking and living and breathing the kingdom and the assignment of God that is on their lives. I have found that there's all kinds of different things that make us withdraw. Everybody's got their own excuse, and everybody has their own vice of what makes them withdraw. And, and I, was, I was praying this week, and I just wrote down a couple things that I, I think are just huge factors in that, that make us withdraw. And I think one of those is we withdraw from the things that we can't understand. Isn't that the truth? Like, wait, wait. God is confusing sometimes. Am I the only one? I mean, it's like God is confusing sometimes. Like, you have that power. We say you're good. Why this? It's confusing sometimes. I remember, it's it's just been been one year ago, uh, my aunt passed away from cancer. And I remember just the, really, the hurricane of thoughts that came in my mind as we prayed and we believed, we fasted. I mean, we had everybody that you've ever heard of pray for her. We stayed up late, we got up early, we prayed, we believed everything, and, and she died. And I remember thinking in, the, in, the, in the, even the weeks and the months after the funeral, I just remember thinking, why? Like, I don't understand, God, why she loved you. She's a good mom. She's a good wife. She's a believer. She's on assignment. Why? And you know what? It's interesting, without even trying, my tendency, because of my misunderstanding or lack of understanding, my tendency was to withdraw. Without even trying to, without even being bad-hearted, without even having a ton of doubt in my heart, I just, before I found myself, before I really noticed it, I found myself behind a window. And the next time someone came and asked me for a prayer for healing, I looked at them through the lens of a previous failure in my eyes. And if you stay in the window, you'll begin to despise the thing that you used to love. You will begin to despise the thing that you once were engaged in because when you withdraw, it opens your heart to places of criticism that you would have never gone before. What you have to do, and we this is a motto of our interns and our staff, when you feel distance, you have to press in. It is operating in the opposite spirit. When we withdraw, we withdraw from things we can't understand. We withdraw from things that we can't control. I found this to be true is that when people can't control something, they'll try to control someone. When they can't control someone, they will find something. That they can control. I can't control my family, so I'll control my job. I can't control my job, so I'll control my kids. We have a problem with control. And I found that when we can't get everything under control, we withdraw. I found that we withdraw from things that we can't overcome. This is a big one that we talk about and that we deal with. Is when people are trying to overcome a habit, they're trying to overcome a sin cycle, they're trying to overcome compromise, and they can't seem to get there. Then they tend to withdraw from it and focus in other areas. I I, I can't get victory there, so I'm just going to leave it. I can't. I'm I'm never going to get free like they. Or they withdraw to windows of comparison, and they say, "Oh well, they got free, but I can't get free. I must be weak." They got free, but I didn't get free. Why did God set them free and He didn't set me free? I've been praying like they prayed. And all of a sudden, now the lens comes into view in your relationship with God, and you begin to see everything that God's doing through this lens, through this window, through this glass, and we can't see it accurately. When we can't overcome something, we withdraw. It was interesting as I was studying this, I, I-, I thought this was the only place in the scripture where Michael is in a window, but it's not true. It, earlier in the in the book before this, in 1 Samuel chapter 19, we find Michael in a window again. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 19, uh, verse 11 and 12, it says that Saul sent men to David's house to watch it and to kill him in the morning. This was before David became king. But Michael, David's wife, warned him, if you don't run for your life tonight, Tomorrow, you'll be killed. So Michael let David down through a window, and he fled, and he escaped. Now, I'm going to show you something. you got to think about it real quick before we transition. This is really interesting because Michael withdrew to the last place she had success. David was running for his life, and Michael helped him escape through a window, and it's not a coincidence that the first time that she has trouble, that she withdraws to the last place that she had success. Do you know what I find really traps people? Is not really bad things. Because bad things we know are bad things and we try to get better. What really traps people is when people get trapped in success. In the thing that works. I'm fine. I don't need to rely on God. I don't need him that much. Everyone will get to the point where they really do need him. But when you don't need him, what do you do? When you don't need the miracle, when you don't need the breakthrough, when you're doing all right, when you did it by your hard work and your own sweat and your own tears, and we feel like we don't need God that much, the most common place to get stuck is the places that you've had success in. Michael, she all of a sudden withdraws to the place. You know what's really interesting? I don't even have time to get into it. It says this in, in 1 Samuel. It says, Michael, David's wife, In 2 Samuel, it says Michael, Saul's daughter. There is a change of allegiance between 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. And it changes because she withdraws to a place where she begins to despise. And now I'm not even his, his wife anymore. Now I'm his daughter. They have a, he, She's got a problem. There's an allegiance problem. And she withdraws to the last place that she had success in. We are drawn to windows. We're drawn to places of dependability, of comfort, of gratification, of affirmation, of agreement. When, when trouble really hits, we run to those places. Places that people agree with us, places of comfort, places of gratification, places of affirmation. Well, I get more affirmation on my job from them than I do at home. And so when trouble hits, we we, 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 we just totally gravitate towards the place that we feel successful in. Men, I hope you're hearing me this morning, is that we gravitate towards places that we feel successful in. Verse 20, it says, David returned, returned home to bless Michael. And this is where we talked about Michael, and she got in the way of the blessing. But this is the wild thing is that David was on his way to bless her. And I was praying for you this week, and I began to think about, I wonder how many blessings God has been sending our way that we hijacked Because we spoke out against the things that we didn't understand, the timing that we didn't agree with, the method that we didn't think was right, and we're like Michael, and we speak out against what he's doing. And he was on his way to bless us. David is on his way to bless her. And she comes out of the house and gives it to him. She hijacked her own blessing. It wasn't just because she despised him in her heart. It goes all the way back to the root of the window she withdrew to. Let me just ask you this. What do you withdraw to? What's the thing that you withdraw to in times of trouble? What's the thing that pulls you? What's the thing that, I know we're all sitting here and we're all being really politically correct and all right, but like deep in your mind, deep in your heart, what is the window that draws you? I know you're a man of God, you're a woman, you're a great husband, father. But deep in your mind, what is the window? That is the place that God wants to get to. That is the place that God wants to get to. Because he doesn't want you at a distance. The whole reason that Jesus came was so that you wouldn't have to be at a distance anymore. But that you could have relationship with him. That you could come close to him with your broke self. With your beat up self. With your disqualified self. He, can say, he said, come just as you are. That's why Jesus came. Not a not for a polished up version, not for a future version, for the current version, for the past version, for the for for the jacked up version. Jesus said, "Yeah, that's good enough for me. I love him so much that that's good enough for me." It's interesting that. And I love this. I actually saw something this morning that I'd never seen before because this pastor scripture people love to preach this specifically about worship. And David danced, and he said, even more undignified will I get than this. And and so all the like really charismatic people love this because it's like, yeah, let's get it. Like David danced, we're gonna dance. And and, and that's that's awesome. That verse makes me nervous. Um, but David was dancing, he was celebrating. And when Michael speaks out against him, she says this. She says, how the king has defiled himself today. And she says, running around half naked, dancing half naked. And most people are like, David danced so hard and so fast that his clothes fell off of him. It's like, I don't, I don't really think that's the scenario. And so even this morning, I was going over my notes, and I started looking into this, and I saw this. It says that when David began to dance... He would, he would be adorned in royal garments as the king. But as he began to dance, he took off all his royal garments. So all that he had was his priestly garments. And in that linen ephod, which was the priest what the priest would wear, he danced in that, in that attire. What was so offensive to Michael is she didn't want to see David as a man. She wanted to see him as a king. And she was upset that David didn't have the status that she always wanted him to have. And so the reason that she withdrew and the reason that she despised is because someone that should have been king was just a commoner. And she despised him in her heart. And then the Holy Spirit began to speak to me that David is a type and shadow of Jesus. Because Jesus is king. He's the king of kings, and he's the lord of lords, but he chose of his own accord to come down to earth and get among commoners and to take off his kingly garments and the only thing he was left with was a priestly garment and the Bible says he was made a high priest forever in the order of priest Melchizedek he laid his own life down he became a commoner so that we could go free he became usual so that we could do something great with our lives he became ordinary so that we could be saved that's what David exemplified it was a type and shadow of the Messiah that would come that when he laid down his life for us it wasn't just for the elite. It wasn't just for the qualified. It wasn't just for the super spiritual. It wasn't for the anointed ones. It wasn't for the pretty ones. It's for all people. What's interesting is Michael says this. He says, You're going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants. I want you to see this, not just the servants. But the slave girls of, it's the servant's servants, the lowest of the low. That's where Jesus decided to come. Nothing we can do can gain access to God's presence. Nothing we can do can gain access into heaven. Nothing we can do, it is only by God's grace. Grace. And what we see exemplified in David is what we see exemplified in Christ is that Christ laid down his divinity and stepped into humanity so that he could walk among us, so that he could feel what we feel and we could sense what we sense and He to prove to us that it wasn't just for the righteous, but it was also for the unrighteous. Jesus came for all it's interesting that i think that sometimes we miss what god's doing is because we withdraw to elevated places of criticism instead of having the humility to meet god ordinarily i think sometimes people dress up to meet god dress up their faults and dress up their mistakes and dress up their past and we feel like we got to get up in our kingly attire to meet the king but we forgot that the king laid down his kingly attire so that he could meet us. We didn't get to God. God got to us. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. I'll give you the New Testament equivalent in Philippians chapter 2, and we'll close. Philippians 2, verse 5. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking off the kingly garments, or taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness like ordinary people. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being a, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted Him to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I don't know what windows have been drawing you. What vices have been trying to pull you back. You know what I find with a lot of people is that they've been hurt by God, hurt by the church, hurt by people in the church, and because of that, they're, they're positioned permanently behind a window, a lens. Do you know that maybe today, the reason that you're here, it might be for God to remove the windows. I'm gonna tell you how this happens. It's not by God just shattering a window in your life. It is by you getting out from behind that window, coming down to where he is. The Bible says in James chapter 4 verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I'm just waiting for God. No, it says you move. He made his move. He laid down his kingly garments and he took on the form of a priest and he laid down his life and he died and we're going to celebrate in two weeks that life that was, that was laid down and he rose from the dead. He did all that. Now it's, it's, it's our move. It's our turn. If I draw near to him, he will draw near to me. If I come out from my window, he'll meet me in the place of vulnerability and honestly. You don't got to make up to meet God. You don't got to put a mask on to meet God. You just got to come as an ordinary you. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about us at church1132.com.